So you can grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. You know, the prophet Isaiah said that for the spirit of heaviness, God has given us a garment of praise. Satan don't like when you praise him. Amen. Satan don't like when you praise your God. So you got to put on that garment of praise. Sometimes you got to make an anyhow praise. Sometimes you just got to praise him on credit. Amen. You know he's been good to you, but you just can't think about it because the situation has you so bound. You just got to praise him on credit. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. The precious, authentic, sufficient, marvelous, inerrant word of God reads, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Amen. Uh, You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Today we want to tag uh, this text, uh, to judge or not to judge. What the Bible really says about judging others what the Bible really says about judging others. Uh, Many of us have heard and know the popular expression, only God can judge me. We may know it because maybe that's our life's mantra. Uh, Some of us, we have the little praying hands with the tattoo stitched into our skin. Other of us know that subject because we like Tupac Shakur. And Tupac Shakur uh, immortalized the saying in the urban context when he made the song, Only God Can Judge Me. Some of us know the song, Only God Can Judge Me, because uh, we have close family members who constantly remind us of uh, their belief. Um, when any time we try to correct them about something or talk to them about something. But the question is, what does the Bible really have to say? Um, Is that a true statement? Only God can judge us. Does the Bible teach that? And can we stand on it? In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, we read the words. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Well, let's close our Bibles and let's go home. Thank you all for coming out. Praise team, come on back up. That's what it says. Look at your Bible. Judge not that you be not judged. God bless y'all. Amen. (laughs) 
Debbie? No. It is important that we understand that every verse is with inside of a paragraph. And every paragraph is with inside of a chapter. And every chapter is with inside, inside of a book. And every book is inside of the canon or the, the whole word of God. So when we read a verse, we always want to remember the importance of context. Many people just kind of cherry pick and take verses out the Bible and they build their whole theology on something that they took out of the Bible and out of its context. And everybody has a theology. Everybody has a, a worldview of what they think about God. And even if that is that he doesn't exist. If we look carefully at this chapter, we will quickly learn that that is not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is not, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, telling us that only God can judge us. It's important that we know this as a church because as we've been preaching and, and teaching on Wednesday nights through our series called Hot Topics, where we take culturally relevant topics and say what the Bible has to say about it, within each hot topic, there is a, a sentence or two explaining about how the Bible calls something a, a sin, and maybe culture doesn't call it a sin. And then we speak about how when a person is walking in all-out rebellion, refusing to repent of that sin, how it is the church's job to pursue that person and bring them back to the Lord. But one question that we constantly get, and it's a good question, and it's our jobs as pastors to speak to the question, is aren't we judging the person if we go to them and call them out on their sins? And one common thing that we see with this verse is that this is the verse that most people run to to say that it is wrong for us as Christians to judge the way other Christians and other people are living. And they, we will say that we ought to just let them live their life and we, we should live our life. But as we look at this context, just quickly, we'll see that that, that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying that only God can judge us. For example, look at verse number five. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So right away, within the same context, we see a first, then type of setup. Jesus is not saying and not condemning all judgment. But he is saying that some things need to take place before we judge. Travel with me about an inch over in your Bibles, okay? And you'll see in, in chapter 7, verse 15 through 20, what Jesus says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, 
you will recognize them by their fruits. So within just a couple verses, he is telling the church that there are false prophets, people who claim that they speak on behalf of God, but they do not. And he is telling the church to discern. That's what to judge means. It means to, to discern and if necessary, to condemn and act. So he is telling the church that they are to discern their teachers and see whether or not those who are teaching within the church are true or false prophets. He says that the false prophets are like wolves in sheep clothing, which means that you have to look carefully because they look like a sheep. But see, sheep and wolves walk differently. So he's saying the walk, the fruit of their lives will expose them, i.e. preachers of L.A. When we look at this text, we see that Jesus is calling us as a church to discern. And he is calling us to judge. One more thing I want to show you. It's about four other things that we can go right within a, a two chapter radius. But look at chapter verse six. Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. Jesus says, do not give what is holy. Give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs. Least they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So right after he teaches on judging others, he makes a harsh judgment. Dogs and pigs is what he uses in his phrase to speak of People who are outside of the church whose heart is raging against the gospel. He's uh, dogs and pigs back there. They weren't domestic animals. They were seen as wild animals and you wouldn't keep them in your house. He's saying, don't take what is holy. Don't take what has been set aside in the temple for God and for the priest and throw them to wild animals. What he's doing is he's telling us to discern and to know when we should share the gospel with someone and when we should stop and move on. He's saying, no, don't continue to press and share the gospel with someone who is mocking me and who is treating what is holy in a very sacrilegious way. He's saying you need to discern the time and know when it's time to dust the dust off of your feet and move on. See, Jesus is not condemning all judging. Just like there's good anger, an anger that glorifies God, righteous anger. When we're angry about the things of God or, or sin, there is bad anger, an anger that focuses on self and that's selfish, that's destructive. In the same way, there is bad judgment, judging someone the bad way, and there is good judgment, judging someone the good way. If you open up your bulletins, you'll see the outline of today's sermon in there. And that's what we want to look at today. We want to look at those two different types of judgment. The bad way to judge and the good way to judge. The bad way to judge and the good way to judge. Now, we want to understand as God's people the context, once again, of, of this sermon. This sermon is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It is the most profound and marvelous sermon that was ever preached. It is a summary 
of Jesus sitting, uh, of Jesus preaching on a mountain while those around him sat. And he's teaching about what true righteousness is versus false righteousness. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus gives us the thrust of the sermon, which helps us to be able to interpret this passage. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of a Pharisee, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. So Jesus is preaching this message and he's telling the people who are there listening that your righteousness must be better than the Pharisees. Now, this was a huge deal, and this would have got people's attention because they would have thought in their minds, there is no way that I'm going to be more righteous than a Pharisee because the Pharisees were the spiritual heroes of the day. But Jesus in this sermon is trying to show them that they are not the spiritual heroes. They are the biggest spiritual hypocrites. So while he's talking about judgment, As we understand the context, he is going head on against the attitude and the spirit of the Pharisees. So now let's look at the bad way to judge. The way that the Pharisees, as we read the Gospels, were judging people. First, chapter 7, verse 1 says, Judge not that ye, you, be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be measured to you. So the bad way to judge, number one, is to judge harshly. To judge harshly. The Pharisees were harsh on people. They judged in a very harsh way. They condemned people. In fact, they did it in such a way to... They, they really treated them as if they had the final judgment on those people's lives. In fact, they did this to Jesus quite often. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15 that they looked at Jesus and says that this man receives sinners and he eats with them. They went on to call him a drunkard and even called him Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. They looked at Jesus and they judged him harshly. So when the Bible says, judge not, least you be judged, what he's saying is, don't condemn and cast the final judgment on anyone. Don't treat anyone in such a way that you make it as if you are God over them. The second bad way to judge is to judge hypercritically, to be hypercritical with our judgment, to be hypercritical. The Pharisees were very hypercritical when they judged. To be hypercritical uh, is kind of the picture of a, a manager who micromanages everything. Imagine this manager who, he doesn't just want things done the right way. He or she, they want things done exactly their way. And they nitpick on every piece of dust. You can clean the table, right? But it's not about you cleaning the table. It's about how you clean it. They want the Daniel son from Karate Kid White, right? 
The Pharisees were very hypercritical. Things had to look exactly how they wanted it. And they even superseded what the Bible says. But to be a hypercritical person and to be uh, that way is, is very arrogant. And what it does is it uh, makes that person who's hypercritical uh, really the God in, in that situation. That person is in control. And that's what they want. They want to be in control. It's the husband or, or the wife who, who wants things done exactly the way they want it. And that other spouse um, is just walking on eggshells throughout the house because there's no grace. And this person wants to be in control. It's the picture of that parent whose child can never please them and whose good is never enough. That is a bad way of judging, and that is what Jesus is condemning. And a lot of times we can be hypercritical when we assume things about people and about situations. A hypercritical person doesn't consider facts and they doesn't consider what was actually said in the conversation, but rather they are so arrogant and so prideful that whatever takes place, they're assuming things. And we all are guilty of that. I know I've been guilty of that, of assuming a person meant something and assuming that I know what they really meant. When we do that, we're being hypercritical. Kevin D. Young, a popular blogger and, uh, and pastor, wrote an article, uh, a blog called Don't Assume. And in it, he gave a list of just wise things that we need to be careful about in light of Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, that can make us hypercritical and, and judgmental. He says, don't assume that you know all the facts after hearing one side of a story. And that goes to our scripture memory verse of the month. Don't assume the person is guilty just because strong charges are made. Don't assume that the person who is going through a divorce is to blame. Don't assume that you will be a better mother than someone else. Don't assume that your parents are clueless and that the homeless person is lazy and loves God less than you. Don't assume that you should read between the lines. Don't assume that you have interpreted the email correctly and the emotions that the person had when writing it. Don't assume that people meant not to invite you. The hypercritical person is a person who takes it upon themselves to micromanage and they think that they have the right to play God and assume. And that's really unloving when you think about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible says that love does not insist on its own way. When we insist on our own way and think that things have to go our way, we are not loving people. And we are judging them. Also, it says that love covers a multitude of sins, a multitude of sins. When we are judging people in the bad way, we are not allowing our, our love to, to look past their mistakes and their sins. The Bible says in verse number two, these words, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. 
And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So what is Jesus saying here? As he's saying, for with the judgment you for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be used back to you. Jesus is saying for the person that judges in a harsh way, for the person that is hypercritical, for the person that just comes down on everyone, one day they are going to stand before his judgment seat. And just like they pit people apart, he's going to pick them apart. Now, Jesus here specifically is focusing on a non-believer. See, a non-believer is a person who has not uh, received the grace of God and put their faith and trust in Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, in a parallel passage, Luke really says the same thing word for word, except he adds at verse 2 in a sermon, he adds something that touched him. He says, he tells Uh, the, the crowd, Jesus told the crowd that they need to forgive just as they had been forgiven. See, a hypercritical person, a harsh person, is a person who has not experienced the grace of God and who has not truly been set on fire by the forgiveness that God has given them. They're a person who has not come to see their own sinfulness, their own wretchedness, And to see that God is the only one who can save them. They haven't yet seen that they are the chief of all sinners. And apart from God, that there is no good that dwells inside of them. So Jesus says that one day, this hypercritical, this harsh person will be picked apart just as they spent their life picking everyone apart and judging in a bad way. But also as believers, we want to understand that we are not uh, uh, fully sanctified. We aren't glorified. We're going through the process of sanctification. And there are times where we are going to judge in the wrong way. There are times where we are going to be hypercritical. And there's times where we are going to be harsh. But the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that God is not going to allow us to stay that way. And that he, through his spirit, through his church, and through trials and tribulations, is going to make sure that we are humbled and see the grace that we received and the grace that we need to give to other people. So while we may be hypercritical, and while we may be harsh in judging, that isn't what marks us throughout our life. Third. Not only is it harsh, not only is the bad way hypercritical, but the bad way is hypocritical. So when Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, he is speaking to those who are being hypocritical as they judge. Look at verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. You hypocrite. So Jesus asks two questions here, right? He's saying, why do you see the speck or notice the sin that your brother is struggling with, but you don't notice the fact that you're blind. And he uses hyperbola 
In other words, he uses speech that kind of exaggerates the situation in order to make a point. Because a person can't really have a log in their eye. He's saying, why do you see their sin, but you're blind to your own? And then second, he asks a question, and he says, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. In other words, he's saying, how can you minister to your brother and help them with their rebellion, and you're walking in outright rebellion as well? Now, traditionally, when we hear this, what we think is, yeah, how can a person who is walking in in even more sin, and we'll think of a sin, how can a person who is a drug dealer tell me about my adultery? How can a person who's a murderer tell me about my lying? And we say, yeah, you know, we can't, a person can't tell me that I'm in sin if if their life is, is messier or just as messy as mine. But I think when we think about this contextually, what Jesus is saying is Jesus is still talking about a self-righteous attitude, an attitude that the Pharisees has. He's saying that the Pharisees of the day, they were blinded because they thought that they had all, it all together. They were very self-righteous. They, they, they thought that they were really kind of without sin. And he's saying that their pride is blinding them from being able to minister to the people of God. So he's telling them, before you can minister to someone, you have to be humble. And you have to come to a place where you're not walking in pride and thinking that you're better than someone else. Because the truth of the matter is, we all are broken. And except for God's grace, we all would be entangled in sin and in the stairs of sin. So Jesus is condemning hypocritical judgment. In Luke chapter 18, verse 10 through 13, I encourage you to read that when you go home. It's a story of two men who go into a temple to pray. One stands afar off, and that's a tax collector. One who was seen as, he was really a a, a greedy thief. The other is a Pharisee, the religious leader. And the Bible shows these two parallel as they pray to God. The Pharisee, the whole time, boasts on the fact, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. And then he names about four or five other sins, and he says, and I'm not like the tax collector. He spent his whole time praying a boastful prayer. Spent his whole time bragging on how good he thought he was. While the tax collector, the Bible says, refused to even lift up his eyes to heaven because he was broken. See, that Pharisee, could not judge that tax collector, come alongside him and call out his sin in a way that would minister to him because he had so much pride in himself. Because he was walking in so much sin. When I was in college, there was uh, men who would do what's called open-air preaching. And they would... Uh, preach in front of a hall called Wales Hall. And Wales Hall was a a very popular building because most of of the incoming freshmen and math students had to take classes there. There's about, you know, 40,000 students on on this campus. So they would stand out and they would preach. 
And they weren't preaching a message of grace. They weren't preaching in a way that was transparent, in a way that was humble. They were preaching out of pride. They were condemning everybody that walked through. They'll just call you out and say, hey, you, I bet you listen to rap music and it's a miserable thing in the world. Finally, the good way is a, 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 a concerned heart. I've already touched on this. It's a, it's a concerned heart. It's a heart that knows that if this person does not return back to God, even though they've went to church for 20, 25 years, if they live in sin and don't return back to God, that they are going to end up in eternal death, in eternal separation from God. Sin binds us, speck in your eye. It blinds us, it binds us, it makes us captive to our, our flesh, and then it just grinds us. And the concerned Christian goes to that person with a broken heart saying, do you realize that if you, you keep saying tomorrow, you keep saying next week, you keep saying next year, but do you realize that every day that you suppress the truth, your heart is getting harder and harder towards God? And there may come a time where God does you like he did Pharaoh and Saul where he just hardens it more and more to the point where you can't return in repentance. Are you broken for people who are Christians and claim to be Christians? For people who are, whose name is maybe on, on the roll of this church, but who have a splinter in their eye? Are you concerned about it? Are you concerned about the, the splinter that's in your spouse's eye? Or the splinter that's in your eye? James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20 says these words. James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's look at that. He's talking to the church. He's saying, my brothers, if anyone among you, and that could be any of us, all of our hearts are prone to wander. All of our hearts are, are, are prone not to respond to the grace of God. Any of us. At any time, if we're not careful, can be that person that's wandering. He says to him, from the truth, that's what sin is. Sin is wandering from the truth. Sin is believing a lie of Satan, believing that God is not good. Believing that God does not care. Believing that you need that woman or that man to complete you. Believing that God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't care about that area in your life. Believing that something is more satisfying and more joy-filled than walking with the one true and living God. He says, if any one of you wanders from the truth in someone, look, notice what he says. He doesn't say a pastor. 
See, a lot of times we think it's the pastor's job to go and to get the people that's wandering from the truth. It's the pastor's job to judge. I only can judge in a bad way, but he says, that's not what he says. And someone, he said, anyone in the body, anyone who cares, anyone who has a repentant, caring, concerned heart, brings them back. God can use you to bring that person back. God can use you to get that splinter out of someone's eye. Let them know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So turn back to Matthew chapter 7. We want to We want to understand that there is a good way to judge and there is a bad way to judge. The bad way is out of self-righteousness and pride when we are walking in intentional, habitual, all-out rebellion. And the good way is a gospel way. The good way is a way that says this person is believing bad news. God has given me good news. God has allowed me to, to, to be able to go to this person and to help them. And I'm going to help them because I want to see them in fellowship. Because I love them, because I'm concerned, because I know that sin can drive us right to the pit of hell. Salvation isn't about how you start. It's not about how we just run in the middle. It's also about how we finish. And a Christian is one who will persevere to the end because the grace of God has preserved When a person walks away from the flock, when a person is living in outright rebellion, that person is in danger. We are in danger. You're in danger if that's you here today. So there's some things that hinder us from submitting to what the Bible says. Number one is our own sin. Our own sin. Some of us, we hear this and we say, well, I can never go and judge someone because I'm a sinner. And I want to agree with you and say, yes, you are. You are a sinner. I'm a sinner. We're all broken individuals. But God has called us to, to judge our brothers and sisters. The persons who cannot judge someone is the person who is an outright, open, habitual rebellion. Other things that hinder us is the fear of man. I'm afraid. I know that my brother and sister in Christ has a splinter in their eye. I see them struggling. I know that they wander to the truth, but I don't like confronting people. And I just want to encourage you to not be afraid of man. Fear God more than man. Understand that you are saving this person from death. They may not see it that way. They may not like you, but you are saving this person from death. You are running into a burning building. You are grabbing their hand, and you are gently leading them out to safety. And they may not appreciate it as they have smoke on them and as they're coughing. Maybe they they are suicidal and they're mad at God. But I'm telling you, if God gives you the grace to turn them around, they will appreciate what you've done for them. Proverbs says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. 
The way we get of our fear for going to someone and, and talking to them about the splinter that is in their eye is by going but into our secret place and praying to God and, and praying for boldness and praying that God will help us. Our prayer life has everything to do with our sensitivity to sin and whether or not we have the boldness to rescue someone who is in dying. Another hindrance is that we, as a church, traditionally, we don't see this as our responsibility. But it is our responsibility. The way that God saves us and rescues us from sin is threefold. Number one is through his word, by convicting us through his word. Number two is through trials and tribulations. Hebrew chapter 12, he disciplines those who he loves. Sometimes he just has to break us all the way down in order to bring us back up. But the third way is through the body of Christ. God pursues us through the church. Each of us are are instruments of grace, instruments of God. And God has called each of us to the ministry of reconciliation, to the ministry of restoration. Every person who says that they are a Christian, you are called. You are called to see the speck that is in my eye, to see the splinter that is in my eye, and to come alongside me gently and to say, Pastor, I love you, but I've seen this habitual, intentional, flagrant thing in your life that is taking you farther and farther away from God. And I'm not coming to you as one who is better than you or one who is is proud. I'm coming to you as one who is broken and one who knows that God put me in your life just as God put you in my life in order to free me from a cold, random, boring walk with you. That's how some of our walks are, isn't it? It's bored, it's random. The church is God's home on earth. It's God's people on earth. We are God's arm on earth. We are God's feet on earth. We are God's mouth on earth. And we are called to reach, to run, and to speak to people who are running, to people who are broken. And we go to them knowing today it's you. Next year it may be me. If I'm not careful. If I don't guard my heart. It's our responsibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. So Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, we'll be looking at this in a few weeks. Paul tells the church that it's not your job to go to non-believers and to pick out the specks that's in there. I know John says, Jesus says in John, that our job is to go and to speak to their unbelief. But it is our job as Christians to go to other believers and to judge, to discern what we see because they are professing Christians and to call them out. So is it true that only God can judge? No. God has given the church the responsibility to judge in a gospel-centered, good way, in a broken yet bold way, in a way that says, I want to see you in heaven with me, man. 
in a way that says, I know that sin, sin can stain and separate and, 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 and make us end up somewhere we never thought we would end up. So I'm pleading with you to come back home. Come back. Don't take the blood of Christ lightly. For while salvation is free, it is not cheap. It costs the Son of God agony, embarrassment, and pain. It costs him. It costs him momentary separation from his own father, as his own father could not look upon his sin as he was on the cross. It costs him to feel and to be forsaken by the one that he eternally enjoyed. Notice that the person who normally says only God can judge me, that never comes from the lips of someone who is truly pursuing God. That never comes from the person that's in community, from the person that loves reading the word, from the person that's broken but knows that God is, is their restorer, from the person that's running to God as living waters every day. Normally people say only God can judge me is the person who is in all-out rebellion, and it was basically telling you to shut up. As Lecrae said, if God is the one who's going to judge you, how you plan to beat that case? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we ought to judge ourselves so that God will not have to judge us on the final day. He says, examine yourself, judge yourself, so that on the day of judgment, he won't have to judge you himself. In other words, he's saying, you don't want me judging you. Ooh, it's tight, but it's right. Old school preachers, you say, hello, lights. Proverbs 12 and 15 tells us that we, as, as the body of Christ, we should want people, godly people in our lives, calling out splinters in our lives in a gracious way. We should want that. We should. We should desire. It's not a bad thing. The reason it's so bad and the reason we get so defensive is because we have we're self-righteousness. Agree with God. On the cross, Jesus was nailed to the tree, and what he was saying is, is that you are a sinner. You are dirty. You are broken. You need help. I'm here to help you. I forgive you. I bury your sins. I remember them no more. The worst about you is being condemned right now. But when someone is confronting us on our sin, we are being our own inner lawyer. And we're saying, no, I'm I'm righteous. No, who do you think you are? No, we are messed up. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We want to humble ourselves. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Do you have an attitude that says only God can judge me? Or are you walking in godly wisdom because of the gospel? 
Proverbs 15.32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. When we separate ourselves from the body of Christ, the Bible says that we, we despise ourselves, we hate ourselves. The, the person who's putting himself around people who can speak into their lives are the intelligent ones. Listen to this, last one. Proverbs 18.1, I want you to listen to this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. People who say only God can judge me are normally people that's not in community. Normally people that separated themselves from people. They've isolated themselves. And God is saying that's foolish. God says that's not sound. Why is it not sound? Because our hearts can deceive us. Our hearts can make us think that God told us something that is clearly against God's word. Our heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Our hearts need Jesus, and we need the body of Christ because the body of Christ delivers Jesus to us. Jesus loves us. So Tupac, God is not the only person who can judge you. The body of Christ can. For the person here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to hear this message and to hear what I'm saying. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus because you know that you're wicked. And you know that that you have desires that, that you can't live up to, desires that you're living in, and that God has a standard that you can't live up to. And you're saying, I will come to Jesus when I have it all together. I will come to Jesus when I'm able to take the splinter out of my eye. And I want to encourage you to say, listen, Jesus died for you in order that those sins, the things that you're entangled with, that you will be not only forgiven from them, but that you would be free from them. Jesus breaks that bondage through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he gives you a new heart, new affections, new desires for the things that are concerning him. But he doesn't just leave you there. He then puts you in a family He puts you in the body of Christ around other believers who are spiritual, who are walking with Jesus to help you. People who have been alcoholics. People who have pot pills. People who have been on drugs. And he uses them to help set you free. The gospel is about freedom, not about bondage. We invite you to come to know Jesus today. If you all can stand to your feet, I'm going to